0: So, Mark. Yes. We're about halfway through the year now. Okay. So I think it's time for us to take a moment and assess how we're feeling about film in 2019 so far. Uh, Got some good. Got more bad, I'd say. I think that's fair. Yeah. But- there is still some stuff that I've been really excited about, and I hope that's true for you too. Have there been any standouts for you so far in the year? Any movies or performances or whatever that you're really excited about? Obviously, Serenity. Ah, uh, this is of course Serenity, starring Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway. Correct. The second movie I saw
1: this year in, in the theaters. film noir of a lifetime. Um. No, just had to throw that in there. Obviously, that is not it. There's a giant fish named Justice in it. I'd say my top movies for this year that I've seen so far are probably Us, Book Smart, and Toy Story 4. Okay. But yeah. Rocket Man and Detective Pikachu are also very fun. Yeah, and I, think- I love Detective Pikachu, but it's like in a different category because of what it is. Does that make sense?
0: Sure. It's popcorn cinema. With a deep noir tone, much like Serenity?
1: It's not even the part of it that's like, it's popcorn cinema. It's the part of it that Pokemon has been such an important part of my life, as long as I can remember. I don't remember a time before I played Pokemon Red. Okay. So it's just so ingrained that that movie was going to resonate, no matter how good it was. Sure.
0: I think Us is still the standout for me this year. Definitely. The vision in that is playing on so many different levels All of which I think are really compelling. It's one of those movies that I came out and I was excited to keep thinking about it for the next several days.
1: Lupita Nyong'o is definitely my top performance of the year.
0: Absolutely. I'd say she's right up there with Elizabeth Moss, both in Us and in Her Smell. Oh, yeah. Both of which are really great performances. Elizabeth Moss is killing it this year. She really is. Her Smell is another standout for me. Directed by Alex Ross Perry about Elizabeth Moss as Becky something, a like 90s rocker. Kind of Riot Girl inspired. Very much. Band. So that's one that I really enjoyed. Just recently, I saw The Last Black Man in San Francisco, which is a really cool movie about this guy, Jimmy Fails, whose family lived in an old neighborhood of San Francisco. They got gentrified out and he's trying to get back to his old family home. And It's a really thoughtful contemplation on the idea of place and the meaning that place can have. And like us, that was a movie that I've really enjoyed continuing to think about after having seen it. Definitely. I also
1: want to give a shout out to Caitlin Deaver for her performance at Booksmart. She's incredible. One of the best ones. But I feel like Billy Lord might be one of my favorite. Just it's so transcendent and in its own world. I don't know how to explain it. That really elevated the movie for me. It's a me.
0: very fun performance where she's doing something really weird, but there is a real pathos to it. Like there is a deep sadness to that character married to an intense weirdness. And it's fun to see those two things at play.
1: An absurdity. Like it's true absurdism in a lot of its portrayal and that the laws of physics don't apply to this one character, but they apply to everyone else in the movie.
0: Uh, similarly for kind of a sadder performance. Robert Pattinson in High Life, a great new installment in our genre of sad space movies. I'm bummed I didn't make it to that one, but... That was
1: a cool one to see in theaters. It wasn't there for very long. No. And I'll tell you, I'm glad I saw it. It's bleak. Yeah. I also... The world's depressing enough. I don't know. I'm not always looking to go out for bleak movies. Sure. And there has been some fun,
0: like, popcorny kind of stuff. Shazam! is a real blast. That was great. Yeah, it's fun to see people having fun, and that's a movie about the importance of building a community.
1: It was really good. I enjoyed that much more than I thought I would. Yeah,
0: Zachary Levi turns in a great performance as like funny Superman, basically,
1: and manages to maintain the elements of the child performer. Like he has, right? He's the doing a Tom like Hanks quality. and big thing,
0: right? I even think Avengers is really good. Like, part of it is just being impressed that they managed to pull this massive thing off. This has been a year of a lot of big finales with, like, if we go over to the TV side, we have Game of Thrones, we've got Veep, things like that going on. We have Star Wars Episode Nine coming up, which, while it's obviously not going to be
1: the last Star Wars movie, it is the end of this trilogy.
0: Yeah, and I think that Avengers had this really daunting task ahead of it and managed to not only make something coherent but something that also made you feel like all the stuff that came before mattered.
1: I think that this summer in particular, like actual summer, has been, you know, the blockbusters haven't been huge hits, but I feel like I always feel that way at the beginning of summer, and then by the end of the fall and into award season, it's like, oh, this has been a good year.
0: And I think that we've still got some stuff to be excited about this summer, but as it has been the last several, it's looking at the smaller things. It's looking at movies like Smart, like Late Night, which is not a masterpiece, but was a fun time at the movies. Right. Looking at Last Black Man in San Francisco, we've got The Farewell coming out. That movie is going to destroy me. I tear up watching the
1: trailer and I've seen it like three times, but I think the fact that just having been to some of these places or, you know, I don't know exactly which city they're in, but communist china they built a lot of buildings that look exactly the same what so i kind of just understand the vibe of what is happening in the movie and the grandmother referring to herself as like nai nai just she says those words and i'm just like oh god i have a grandmother i have two grandmothers and it's very upsetting and aquafina looks like she's gonna be really good in this
0: yeah i'm excited about that And then there's some cool stuff coming out in the fall. We've got the still mysterious mystery, Knives Out. The trailer has been shown to people. Why
1: have I not been able to see it?
0: For people who don't know, Knives Out is the new movie from Ryan Johnson, who directed Looper and Star Wars The Last Jedi. It is an Agatha Christie-style murder mystery, starring Daniel Craig and Lakeith Stanfield as police investigators. I'm so excited for this movie. The premise seems amazing. They showed the trailer at CinemaCon a couple months ago, and it has not come out on the internet.
1: I cannot wait. Michael Shannon is in it. J.B. Lee Curtis is in it. It's an incredible cast. Frank Oz is in it. Wait, he is? Yeah. Oh my god, he is. Christopher Plummer. Oh my god. This movie looks like it's gonna be awesome.
0: So that's exciting. Even like Ford versus Ferrari, the trailer looks pretty cool. And that's a movie that I had no interest in based on its premise. Yeah, I have not watched it. I should check it out because I have
1: no interest because I feel very indifferent to Cars. I do too. Trailer looks pretty fun. Any last performances or films you want to talk about?
0: I think the big performances for me are Lupita and the two Elizabeth Moss performances, as well as Billy Lord. That's one I really, really enjoyed. I do want to take a moment while I'm getting to talk about this to say that I don't think these are necessarily going to be ones that we talk about at the end of the year, but I already mentioned Zachary Levi in Shazam, and Taron Edgerton in Rocketman does a really nice job.
1: All of my top standout performances of the year are by women. I think his is the only one I can think of By a man that's like stand out. I think he could snag a nomination. It'll depend on what we see the rest of the year. But in terms of just movies that have come out so far. I'd say he's definitely in the running.
0: I would say the other ones that stand out for me are Robert Pattinson in, in High Life. Who's mostly acting on his own for a lot of the movie. Yeah. And Jonathan Majors in The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Who is not the main main character. This Jimmy fails. But I think turns in a really thoughtful performance that is understated in a way that gives us a sense of a very deep interior life. The kind of performance that Ryan Gosling gets nominated for Oscars for.
1: Right. I will say, Terran Egerton is almost guaranteed to have a Golden Globe.
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> that, that will happen. I am looking forward to Rocket Man doing very well at the Golden Globes. The real question is between Rocket Man and, and Judy, Judy. what's going to
1: happen? Because I feel like I'm the- sorry,
0: Mark, you've forgotten about the most Golden Globes movie coming out this year. What? Tom Hooper's Cats.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that movie is coming out this year.
0: This is the year Taylor Swift gets nominated for God a Golden Globe. Damn it.
1: Oh, Renee Zellweger will have her beat for that, though. Probably. I think Renee Zellweger and Ter Egerton might win in their categories, but the real question is, Judy's trailer specifically looks very tailored towards the Hoofpa. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so it's just like, what's going to happen
0: there? That trailer, of course, notably has basically the same score as Godzilla King of the Monsters, another movie that came out this year. Oh, and you know what? Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark is also... Scored to Somewhere Over the Rainbow in its trailer.
1: It is the top song on AFI's top songs list. That's true. According to the American Film Institute, it's the best movie song in American cinema. I'd buy that. Yeah, and it was almost cut. That's right. We should do an episode on that.
0: On The Wizard of Oz? There's no love story. There's zero love story. supposed to be 10.
1: I guess the Tin Man learns to love. Everyone, just go watch it, even if we're not doing an episode.
0: Yeah, that's a rare movie that we have nothing to say about.
1: But I have so much to say about. Sure. Just wouldn't really fit in the podcast that we currently host. All right. Should we start the episode?
0: Yeah, speaking of movies in 2019, let's talk about another one.
1: Yeah, welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark,
0: and I'm gay. And I'm Will, and I'm a Ginger. This, of course, is a podcast where we delve deep into the most important issues of our day. Namely, does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable or even likable? You know, it doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation. Either way, we will dig in. We'll see what's there. We'll figure it out. It's our mission. We won't stop. We can't stop. We're going to keep doing it as long as we can. This week, in the spirit of our 2019 assessment, we are doing a new movie that just came out this weekend, yesterday, directed by Danny Boyle of 28 Days Later, but also Slumdog Millionaire, and written by rom-com legend Richard Curtis, who we've covered before with Bridget Jones's Diary and The Tall Guy, but who also wrote things like Notting Hill, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Love Actually. He's a man who writes rom-coms with big dramatic gestures, and boy has he continued to stay the course.
1: Yeah, I think that's my biggest problem with this movie.
0: It's the weakest part of the movie. It stays the course. There's a lot that I enjoy about this movie. I mostly had a good time.
1: Yeah, I was kind of... Eh. That was my final takeaway. Like, there were some good moments. Anytime Kate McKinnon was on screen, I was very into it. But I don't know.
0: I feel like Kate McKinnon's character is Curtis nodding towards a somewhat less earnest audience than when he started making these.
1: Right. They do a good job of L.A., I'd say. A lot of the L.A. jokes are very subtle, like when they're in the meeting and everyone just is super attractive, has a juice and a coconut water in front of them, and is clapping at everything. The, like, falseness of L.A. felt really real. But, I don't know. I feel like the interesting part of imagining a world where the Beatles doesn't exist is thinking about what happens to music. But there's no discussion of that. Without the Beatles, music as we know it probably wouldn't exist. Like, they really changed the game in a lot of ways.
0: Right. This movie is... On the one hand, a Richard Curtis rom-com, and on the other hand, kind of a high-concept science fiction movie, yeah. but it doesn't really focus on the sci-fi part.
1: No, and that's the other thing I find interesting. We have already watched Kate and Leopold, we'll be covering it later. It's the same problem I have with that movie, where if you're gonna put a sci-fi element in, I don't enjoy when they just put it in and don't explain it and hope you follow along.
0: We're gonna go deep on this movie. Just so that we're all clear, the premise of this movie is that this guy, Jack Malik played by Hamish Patel, is riding his bicycle when there is suddenly and inexplicably a global electricity blackout. At the same time, he's hit by a bus. Somehow, I presume this transports him to a parallel Earth, that's the only explanation I have, in which some things are different. It's a Mandela effect movie, basically, where you travel from one Earth to another and you remember some things that are different. So he remembers the existence of Coca-Cola, which does not exist in his new earth. A huge tragedy. He remembers the existence of Harry Potter, which does not exist in this new world. And crucially for our story, he remembers the existence of the Beatles. And don't forget cigarettes. That's right.
1: Based off of this list, I get the feeling the Beatles, Harry Potter, Coca-Cola, all good things. And then you add cigarettes to the mix. I wonder if Richard Curtis smokes. Interesting, I had not thought about that. Because all of the other things are generally popular, well-regarded, things that are considered good, and then cigarettes.
0: Yeah, that's a fair point.
1: That was also just kind of a weird scene, where it was a man just saying, I wish I had a cigarette, and then his friend goes, what? And the scene is over.
0: Yeah, the movie just occasionally goes for that joke. Yeah. So anyway, once Jack gets to this parallel Earth, we don't really discuss those details at all ever again, Except that the premise of the movie is that he is a musician who was on the verge of giving up. And he decides, I remember the Beatles, nobody else does. And so he starts performing Beatles songs as his own and becomes incredibly famous. We only ever encounter two other people who remember the Beatles. And I kind of got the sense that they had been living... On this parallel world for much longer and were therefore very excited to hear the songs again because it had been much longer for them.
1: That makes sense. I didn't really think about that, because they also could just be huge Beatles fans and have gone through the same feeling he did. The movie isn't super clear the time frame. I think it's pretty fast, but you also have to take into account the amount of time they spend recording all the songs before they become famous. It would definitely be months, if not Over a year, close to two before the Kate McKinnon stuff even happens. I was
0: thinking it was at least a year that the movie takes place over.
1: So I guess at that point, by the time he gets to Moscow, this man probably hasn't heard a Beatles song for like a year and there's no way to find them because they don't exist. And if you are a big Beatles fan, there are a lot of them. That would be a big deal for you.
0: And you're right that not having the Beatles would have a pretty substantial impact on the development of music culture. At the end of the day, this movie is a romance. Yeah.
1: The only music we hear
0: that is not his is, like, two songs by
1: Ed Sheeran.
0: I will say, I think the movie uses Ed Sheeran very well.
1: Yes. I agree with that.
0: And it manages to walk a nice line between making fun of Ed Sheeran and still letting him look like a good dude.
1: That's definitely true, where they don't push it too far, where you'd be like, why did Ed Sheeran agree to do this movie? But there are some
0: lovely touches where, like, his own music is his ringtone.
1: Right. And when one of the characters says, you should stop rapping. Yeah. That's, like, a weird thing to have in a movie in which the person you're talking to that about is in, kind of. Yeah,
0: I think the movie uses him well.
1: Right, I generally don't like Ed Sheeran or his music, but I didn't find his presence in this movie annoying or anything like that. Is he really from Suffolk? I have no idea. Suffolk? I wonder if that's why they chose Suffolk as the place to justify that. That would make sense. He was born in Halifax in the UK. I have no idea what that is.
0: I don't know where Suffolk is, so I don't really know. I don't know know where where any of these places are. It might as well be Privet Drive. (laughs) Kinda looks like it. It is interesting, actually, as this was originally announced. The plan was for it to be set in the 60s or 70s, which puts it in a very different place because then our Jack character would be a person who knows the Beatles at the height of their fame. But you don't have to contend with the legacy stuff that you were talking about.
1: Yeah, and I think there are still some touches of that in terms of like every so often they play into the psychedelic 60s element of the Beatles, even though his music isn't really doing any of that.
0: No, you and I talked about the fact that he mostly sticks to the earlier end of their catalog, stays out of the weirder music for the most part. I
1: was kind of annoyed by that because I really enjoy the weirder late stage Beatles stuff and you don't get... Any of that, really.
0: On the other hand, one thing I don't have a huge handle on is how much of a Beatles fan Jack is. It seems like the movie doesn't know. And I think that matters because the less of a fan he is, the less likely he is to know the later, weirder stuff. Right. Whereas he's more likely to be more familiar with, let it be, hey Jude, I want to hold your hand. And since he has to do all this stuff from memory.
1: Right. Those are easier songs to recreate. But the thing is, if he does seem to know, like, he is singing "Maxwell Silver Hammer at one point, which is from Abbey Road, and he even has Revolution 9 written on a sticky note that is, like, in his list of songs that he's worked on, and I'm like, that is not really a song. There's no way a man with one guitar would be able to recreate that.
0: To be fair, we don't know that he ever even attempts to play it. My sense in that scene is he's writing down every Beatles song he can remember before he forgets them, and that'll give him something he can latch onto. A running thread in the movie is him trying to remember the words to Eleanor Rigby.
1: Which is also weird, because if he was able to remember, like, any Beatles songs enough to pull off becoming a Beatles artist, I feel like
0: he would know Eleanor Rigby. Maybe. His problem is trying to get the words precisely right. There's a funny montage where he's trying to get them right and we're seeing the scenes described in the song recreated and they keep getting adjusted as he slots in different lyrics. Yeah.
1: One other thing I found interesting is I thought the movie would show that he was a Beatles fan before the accident. Whereas... There's no mention of the Beatles. Then the accident happens, and one of the first things he says is a throwaway line referencing the Beatles, where Ellie then acts confused.
0: I don't hate that, because there is an extent to which the Beatles become like the Wizard of Oz. Where people reference it without even really consciously referencing it. Yeah. It's so suffused our popular lexicon that we use these lines all the time.
1: I also thought it was an interesting touch that Oasis was gone to.
0: Which is very funny because we'll talk about this when we get into the romance. The way that Jack meets Ellie, played by Lily James, is at like a talent show at school. He plays a pretty good cover of Wonderwall. Yeah. I think one of the things that
1: made me maddest in this is in this world, the Beatles never happened, which means they never got famous, which means
0: John Lennon didn't get John assassinated, Lennon didn't
1: get assassinated. So he meets John Lennon, and they would just try and shoehorn in the dumbest references. Like this old man who has made no use of any real slang of any kind at the end is just like, my life was fab. And I rolled my eyes so hard. Did you
0: notice his boat was called The Imagine?
1: Yeah, that too. The movie would try and do stuff like that, which it really didn't need. The Imagine was a good touch. I liked that. That didn't annoy me as much. And it fit
0: with the version of John Lennon that we get in the movie.
1: Right. But having him just out of the blue use the word fab, where the Beatles also didn't really describe themselves as a f- the fab four that was put onto them. So it's not like it was a word John Lennon was thrown about. And that was the last word he said. He was just like,
0: it's fab. And I looked at Will and I was just like, ugh. There are some clunky points in the movie. Like I said, yeah. I mostly found it pretty charming. It is not breaking down any rom-com conventions by any means. No. But sometimes it's fun to just see a rom-com made by some of the best people in the business.
1: Yeah. How into the Beatles are you? Not really. I think the fact that I know a lot about the Beatles made the jokes like that even clunkier. So that they would like take me out of the movie completely. That makes of sense how bad like how clunky, how out of the blue they are, and that happened at like just the wrong moments, or it'd be like, I had enough time to get back into it, and then someone would make a terrible joke, and I'd be like, Okay, well
0: The version of that for me in film this year is probably glass. A movie that is bad anyway, but also tries to go into grand speeches about how comic books work and manage to be both incredibly basic in how it talked about it. There's a point where they explain what an origin is, and I feel like popular consciousness has a handle on that word or you know, the dictionary. Right. But then there's also stuff where they explain the history of superhero comics and get it wrong. And so I would say that's probably my version of that to an extent. Yeah.
1: And so you kind of understand that it can't take you out of a movie.
0: Oh, absolutely. So, I don't know. I
1: don't regret seeing it, but I didn't love it.
0: I would say if you really enjoy rom coms and Especially if you're a fan of what Richard Curtis has done in the past, you will continue to like this. Right.
1: I would say of the Richard Curtis movies we have done, this is my least favorite, though.
0: I think that's fair. I'm most partial to the tall guy, which is his weirdest by far.
1: Yeah. I also did like Bridget Jones' Diary.
0: Yeah. This movie premiered in May at the Tribeca Film Festival, which is run by Robert De Niro. Huh. And got middling reviews at the time and has kind of continued to be received in a lukewarm fashion. Yeah. The most notable thing to come out of its premiere was a joke by Robert De Niro saying, Oh, you know, a world where nobody remembers the Beatles. What I'd like is a world where nobody's heard of Donald Trump. Good work, De Niro. I mean, that's why uh, they pay him the big bucks. The Irishman himself. Indeed.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We have no way of knowing if he is the Irishman. I'm just guessing.
0: It's either him or Joe Pesci, right? Right. You know, this very Irish cast. Oh, you know what? Could be Al Pacino. I can't wait for that. It's gonna be weird no matter what. No matter what, we have to watch them get de-aged. Yeah, de-aging technology is getting good.
1: Yeah, it's still not as good as aging technology. As in, you know, makeup.
0: Sure, I'll say this. You don't see the Marvel movies. No, I don't. They use it a lot more than most other people because they have this elaborate continuity. Michael Douglas and Michelle Pfeiffer get aged down in Ant-Man and the Wasp, Mm -hmm. and those are people where we know what they looked like at that age, because they were in movies. Right. It looks real good.
1: I guess that also does help, because they have a lot of models to use. Right. Because both of them were in a lot of movies when they were young.
0: Yeah. But de-aging is getting, getting up there, and it's weird. Yeah. The ultimate end of it is weird stuff, like Peter Cushing in Rogue One, where... He was dead, but in the movie. Yeah, that freaks me out. What's weirdest about that one is if you pay attention, there's one scene where you can see his feet and it looks really weird. And it's because they had no original material to go off of because Peter Cushing found the boots really uncomfortable. So he wore slippers on set and you never see his feet in A New Hope. So they were having to build the bottom of his legs out of nothing.
1: That's incredible. Just the thing is watching it, you just feel weird. I don't think that should be a thing. De-aging, I'm fine with. I don't think we should pursue putting dead people into movies. I agree.
0: I think it's a bad idea.
1: Because the other thing is, there are new people. There are actors that are just emerging onto the scene that are just as good.
0: And there are weird ethical questions that come with it.
1: Right. So it's kind of just like, even with de-aging, I hope we don't get to the point where People just want to de-age people that are already celebrities instead of looking for new talent. Right.
0: We need to uh, find instead people who are just starting out and who have brought with them art from alternate dimensions.
1: Yeah, that's what we're looking for. So if you got hit by a bus during a global blackout and have entered a new world in which some piece of art we don't know exists, please let us know. It'd be great. Hashtag, I got a hit by a bus during a blackout and now I'm in a new earth. You're not- Hashtag bus blackout. I feel like that hashtag probably exists, and it's all drunk people passed out on buses. Oh, that's
0: probably true. <laughs> if you've been drunk passed out on a bus, tweet at us,
1: hashtag bus blackout. I had a moment, not to get to how did this get made about it, but I had
0: a moment where I was like,
1: is this a Jacob's Ladder situation?
0: Is he dead? I mean, there is that moment where he has a dream sequence where he's on James Corden and Paul McCartney and Ringo show up to claim credit for their songs.
1: Right, and then he wakes up from that as a dream, and I was like, ooh, is this to throw us off the point that it's an even
0: deeper dream? I mean, it's a dream within a dream, and then Leonardo DiCaprio shows up to steal the sheet music for the Beatles songs.
1: I wouldn't put it past him. This sounds like something that would happen in Inception. It could happen in a Danny Boyle movie. Definitely. Okay, so we've talked about this movie a lot, and we've barely discussed Ellie, so I feel like we should start breaking the points down.
0: Okay, so every week, we break down the romance of a movie into the five points that best summarize the relationship. Something groundbreaking is happening today.
1: What is this I see on the script here, Mr. William?
0: I have included a point zero to my great shame.
1: It's not really a point zero, though. It is just... The context for the relationship. I would agree. I'm going to help you get it out. But it is in the vein of some point zeros made by Fiona, which you do hate. So I understand why you're
0: also ashamed. Yeah. So before the movie begins in 2004 at a school talent show, Jack played by Himesh Patel plays a pretty good cover of Wonderwall and Ellie played by Lily James hears it and is enraptured because... There's nothing better than a cover of Wonderwall. (laughs) Played on a guitar. By a child. It's the perfect song choice. Oh, don't worry. We have a dating advice section at the end of this podcast. And that's it. Yep. So she then becomes the champion for his music career, constantly pushing him to go for it. She makes herself his manager. Once they're adults, she's like actually helping to book gigs and drive him to stuff because he doesn't own a car.
1: And he can't drive.
0: Right. Right. And by the time the movie is starting, this has been many years, and after playing another sad gig where basically nobody shows up, he's playing literally to children at a music festival that is not geared at children, and he decides that he's done with it. He's giving it up. It's time to go back to being a teacher.
1: Right. And throughout this whole section, Lily James has given off strong DTF vibes. Oh, yeah. So... It is very clear, painfully clear to everyone that she loves him. And so that is also important background for when we get into the actual points of the romance of the relationship.
0: Right. She clearly wants to be with him and he seems just oblivious. Yeah, just completely
1: not paying attention at
0: all. Anyway, then after the night when he gets hit by the bus during the global blackout, He comes to and discovers that he's the only person who remembers the Beatles, and he starts playing some Beatles songs around. He plays Yesterday for Ellie and his friends. He plays Let It Be for his parents, getting repeatedly interrupted. By his parents, who seem very disappointed that he has decided to return to music.
1: Yeah, they are doing their best to support him in this pursuit, but also clearly realize this is going nowhere.
0: They're just like, dude, your music career doesn't exist.
1: Yeah, get a job.
0: Fine, play us another song, Jack. It's so
1: perfect parent.
0: It's so funny. Like,
1: it is a great distillation of parents, I'd say.
0: And Jack starts playing these Beatles songs, and there's a cool moment where... He's been playing them at a couple different gigs and still not taking off. And he has this moment of like, okay, it wasn't just my songs, it was me. People don't like me playing music. Because he's like, I know Beatles songs can be hits, but they are not being hits played by me.
1: One thing I will say about Jack, he doesn't do a great job of picking the right Beatles song for the occasion. No. He is actually actively bad at that.
0: I mean, he's kind of a bad showman. He is. He likes music, but one of the reasons he hasn't taken off is because he doesn't really tap into anything.
1: Right. One of my favorite scenes is when Kate McKinnon was just fully insulting him to his face about everything wrong About his with appearance. Him, his appearance. And the movie, I think, is also on board with the fact that he isn't, at the beginning, a good showman. And so he kind of is just standing there accepting all these insults.
0: He's very awkward on stage and in person.
1: Yeah. And he just does not choose good music, like music to match the mood well. The first time he does it well is when he's touring with Ed Sheeran and plays back in the USSR. In Russia. In Russia. And that's, like, the easiest connection, but at that point it does start getting better. Well, by
0: that point he's also got the crowd on his side, like, you have to start off right. Right. So anyway, at one of his gigs, Jack has decided once again to give up, because if he can't even make these Beatles songs work, then he can't make anything work. People don't like his music, and they don't like him playing some of the best pop music ever written. So he decides that he's going to stop, but Ellie can reveal that a producer gave her a business card. Gavin. It's Gavin. Such a cutie. A cute dude who has a recording studio right next to train tracks. So whenever they're recording and a train goes by, they have to pause.
1: He holds his finger up very aggressively.
0: They have a great time recording, just the three of them bopping around. Like Ellie's also singing backup vocals on the song. They're putting on rubber gloves to record some hand claps. Yeah, they're doing a lot of different
1: found percussion. You could say.
0: Yeah, so it's just like fun and flirty energy, recording some Beatles songs by the train tracks.
1: Gavin and Ellie do some dancing together and a bit of foreshadowing.
0: And eventually, Ed Sheeran sees Jack on local news playing one of his songs.
1: Yeah, he's just, I guess, watching I Heart Suffolk. And Ed Sheeran sees him play In My Life on this local show.
0: I love the idea that. Ed Sheeran is sitting around watching, like, the 9 o'clock hour of the Today Show.
1: But the very local version. Yeah. And gives him a call, you know, in classic fashion. He doesn't believe it because a famous person is calling him, so he hangs up, and then he calls back, and eventually... We'll see a
0: similar version of this joke a couple weeks from now in The American President.
1: Yeah, and so then it ends with just Ed Sheeran at his house.
0: And Ed Sheeran recruits him to go and... Play the opening act for him in Moscow, and that in turn gets Jack a record deal with producer Kate McKinnon.
1: And he's leaving for L.A. to record. And
0: and this takes us to point number one. He's going to be going to L.A. to record an album, and at this big going away party, he and Ellie go up into his bedroom to have a heart-to-heart talk.
1: And she is clearly tipsy. Very much so and is basically saying, you know, we're not going to see each other again for a long time. Now's the time to shoot my shot.
0: There's basically no stakes. There's no
1: stakes. What did I do? As she puts it, like, what did I do to get put in the wrong column?
0: The friends column versus the I love her column.
1: Right. And so she's admitting, I've loved you this whole time, and you've never thought of me anything more than a chum or your manager.
0: At which point, Jack's dad shows up.
1: And somehow, Jack is surprised to hear this. Whereas no one else is. He's completely oblivious. Yeah. So Jack's dad shows up and is just like, everyone's still at the party. That's for you. And they're getting anxious. You should come back down. And then he leaves. They continue to talk. And then the dad shows up again and is like, no, this is becoming like awkward. You're basically your mom's drinking too much. We need you
0: back at the party. Yeah. But it is this kind of horrible moment of Ellie putting herself out there and Jack basically says nothing. Right. It ends
1: uncomfortably. He leaves without saying anything, and she's alone in his room,
0: and then... Staring at a list of Beatles songs, including, like, staring at the titles of a bunch of love songs. Right. And then, basically, he just leaves. Yeah. And there had been stuff previously, like, after he sang In My Life on the morning show, she was like, who did you write that song about? And he's like, I don't know, which becomes his problem consistently. People are like, so what is that song about? And he's like, music? Because he also
1: can't use the reason the Beatles wrote these songs because they don't apply to his life.
0: Right. He winds up going on a trip to Liverpool, which is point number two for us.
1: Here comes
0: the sun. Here comes the sun. And I say, it's all right. Purely so that he can use all the songs based on places in Liverpool. So he's like, in LA working on recording, when he's like, I need to take a trip to Liverpool, because he realizes it doesn't make any sense for him to be singing about Penny Lane or Strawberry Fields or things like that.
1: Right. So he goes to Liverpool, and while he's there, Ellie shows up and surprises him. Yay! And he's like, you're very far away from home. Why are you here? And she's like, well, obviously, it's because I heard
0: you were here. I'm here to see you, buddy boy. Yeah. And even by now, his fame is starting to build from some songs that have been thrown out on the internet. He's fronted Ed Sheeran. Fronted Ed Sheeran. So he
1: is like, not like a star yet, but someone who is
0: on the rise. Is on the rise. But he and Ellie have a grand old time. They have dinner together in the hotel, and then they ultimately close down the hotel bar together.
1: Right. And then they go walking through a tunnel. Uh, Which is fun. Which is fun. I didn't really understand the hello goodbye reference. Like, all of a sudden the words hello goodbye just kind of float across the screen.
0: There's some fun use of text on screen in the movie.
1: There is. There's some really bad CGI balloons.
0: Yes. Just like,
1: really bad.
0: Anytime we go to a new location, we get some fun text on screen showing where we are. We also get some fun use of big text for Beatles songs that are being played or that are relevant to the scenario. But when they're in the tunnel, we just kind of randomly have hello goodbye go down the tunnel alongside them.
1: Whereas in other ones, it's like, he goes to Strawberry Fields, and the song title Strawberry Fields Forever shows up.
0: Penny I will Lane, say, same thing. I give this movie credit for fun titles. Talking about a bad movie that came out this year, Men in Black International. Whenever we went to a new place in the bottom left-hand corner of the screen, it was like that font that you see on wedding signs on Pinterest or Instagram. Oh, God. In a Men in Black movie. Are you serious? I kid you not. No. I got angry every time I saw it. I don't believe you. This is a lie. I audibly groaned every time we went to a new location. Oh, God. That's awful. It was bad. But But anyway, they go to a new location too. Jack's room. Hotel room.
1: Hey-oh. And this is the... They drink more, and they're having fun, and then they drink more, and then they're not having fun because they realize it's time to discuss... The relationship.
0: Yeah. Jack turns to her and is like, should I turn off the lights?
1: Right. And so then they like awkwardly, like they kiss once and he grabs her butt and she's laughing because she's like, oh my God, you're grabbing my butt. Like I've thought about this a lot.
0: But we've never done that before. And he's like, we're going to do a lot of things we haven't done before.
1: Right. And then they start making out and she's like, no, I can't do this. She says,
0: I can't be a one night stand to you. Which is a really fair response on her part being like, I want to be with you, but it'll be bad for me. If we do this one time and then you leave again.
1: Right. It is very good self-care on her part.
0: Yeah. It's a really hard position for her to be in.
1: Right. And I think that she made the right choice. Absolutely, Because he's like, it won't just be a one night stand. She's like, when are you
0: leaving? And he says, tomorrow. And she says, that's the definition. That's the definition of a one night stand. She does kind of say definition. (laughs) So she goes back to her hotel room, stays on her own. The next day... She leaves, he chases her down at the airport, and it's like, we gotta talk about all this. And she's like, there's nothing to talk about. If you're going to leave, then this cannot be a thing. Right. And once again, we get the sense, like, this is hard for her, because she also wants good things for him, but just can't do this.
1: Yeah, you can't start a relationship with someone who lives in LA and is being a recording artist in LA when you are a school teacher
0: in Suffolk, England. Yeah. It just doesn't work. She talks about how hard this is, because she's like... I've literally spent, like, half my life waiting for you to tell me you love me. Which
1: is also like, girl.
0: (laughs) Sorry? It's also like, girl. (laughs) You can date someone
1: else. Sure, and I think she probably has. Yeah. Like, I don't get
0: the sense that she's dated nobody waiting for him to notice her.
1: Yeah, but it's definitely a moment where she is kind of admitting to herself in this moment, too, how silly it is that she's held this candle for so long.
0: Right. So she's saying, like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Right. And- he goes off to Los Angeles to become the biggest pop star in the world. Yeah,
1: I love it because in this whole movie, he is always on the verge. Like, from playing back in the USSR, everyone's like, you are on the verge of becoming the biggest pop star in history. Yeah, but
0: I mean, that's all and like... that's where he is. The verge is the buildup to the album. Right. And the album doesn't come out until like three quarters of the way through the movie.
1: Right. So he is becoming... A huge star. Recording we're in point a number lot, three now, and now at this
0: recording studio. Yes. Please, please and he's recording Hey Jude, I believe. No, one of the other songs.
1: They've had the Hey Jude scene where they change it to Hey Dude, which is a very bad scene. And he's just singing another song. I don't remember which one. It's not really as relevant.
0: And his assistant, Rocky, interrupts to tell him that he's got a phone call from Ellie. And so he stops recording to answer the phone. And Ellie has two pieces of news for him. One, this place in Suffolk that he had been supposed to perform at years ago is going to be reopening. And he's like, oh, that's so cool. And the other news is that Ellie is dating Gavin. Good for her. He's great. Gavin's a fun guy. He's just a happy little nice guy. Owns his little recording station by the trains. Tracks on the tracks. Tracks on the tracks. So one thing that was actually cut from the movie that you can even see traces of in the trailer is there was supposed to be another woman in the romantic conflict of it all. Ana de Armas, the Cuban actress, shot like a whole storyline where she had like a flirty thing going on with Jack in Los Angeles. And they wound up cutting it out because the audiences got mad at Jack for looking at somebody else.
1: Makes sense. Is that the woman that kind of just weirdly with Gavin at the end of the movie? Or is that a different woman? That's
0: a different woman. Okay. That's one of their friends. We had seen her before. Okay. So Jack is like feeling pretty down now because he's like, ugh, like, I've really like thrown a lot of weird wrenches into this relationship.
1: And, you know, he gets very sad. He does. He does. And his career continues to grow.
0: Yeah. We get to his album launch, which is at this place that she had told him was reopening. Right. He's going to be performing on the roof.
1: You know, it's like a shout out to the Beatles performing on the roof.
0: And he meets up with her and it's super awkward. Yes. And Gavin's there. It's super awkward.
1: And Gavin seems pretty oblivious. He's so happy to see his friend Jack, who he's like, You're so
0: great. Yeah. Remember when we recorded a five track album together and you were handing them out for free at the grocery store you worked at? Yeah. It's cute. Yeah. Poor Gavin. Gavin's a nice guy. And then
1: this is where we get the people that also knew who the Beatles are. Right. And it's built up like, Oh, they're going to be mad at him for stealing. And they're both just like, We're so happy the Beatles' music exists in this world now. Yeah. They're
0: like, We're the. Only people that we've been able to meet who remember them, and we're not musicians. Right, so good job. I'm actually curious what you think about it. Like, is this whole thing ethical? I'm on the fence. It's a thorny issue. I
1: feel like you can tell where the movie's idea is. We'll get to this in point five. but in the end, he admits it and releases the music for free online so that everyone can hear Beatles music, but he's not profiting off of it.
0: Yeah, it's a weird thing because, like, the movie thinks it's wrong for him to claim that he wrote it. right. On the other hand, he's in a very weird scenario where no one actually wrote it in this world. Right. So clearly
1: the movie thinks that it is wrong for him to profit off of this, but it is good that he is sharing the music of the Beatles with the world.
0: Yeah. I can't really decide if it's wrong or not.
1: I can't either. But these people have clearly decided that it is right, they are very happy, and the three of them have a little reunion, and I'm surprised no one brought up Coca-Cola not existing. I know! I was legit I was like, I thought they would just go into it would be like, oh my god, I can't get a Coca-Cola anywhere. That's That where is I would the go. tragedy
0: of this world. Is that You're forced to drink Pepsi You have to drink Pepsi all the time. There's no other option. It's horrifying what are you drink Royal Crown Cola. God no. Shasta Cola. You're drinking just those store brands. Whatever the Kirkland version of Coke is. Kirkland, I'm sure. Kirkland Cola. Ugh. Kirkacola. So anyway, Jack is pretty low because Ellie is with Gavin. And he's really torn up about whether what he's doing is right or not. I think meeting the two other people who remember the Beatles helps him to feel good for a while. But he also doesn't love... The blatant greed of Kate McKinnon.
1: I appreciate how open she is. You know exactly what you're getting with that character. That
0: is true. She has no subtlety.
1: Her last line in this movie is, for the love of money,
0: stop. I think she's a bit much.
1: She is a bit much. I think she's
0: a lot much.
1: But the thing is, it's like... Kate McKinnon can deliver that well enough and make it funny where any other actor that would have been overboard and you would get sick of it so fast. But I think Kate McKinnon manages to make it an entertaining thing because it's like she is overboard and blatant about her feelings, but it's just Kate McKinnon being Kate McKinnon with it. So it doesn't feel as rude, uh, kind of.
0: It does feel rude. It does
1: feel rude, but it's like, Kate McKinnon saying it so matter-of-factly and blasé about it that it kind of just, like, works. But I don't know. I feel like it's great for your manager to be that honest about it. I suppose so. They're not lying to you. They're like, you're a product to me, which is, I'm sure, how most managers feel about their clients. I think to an extent. To an extent. There's that, like, there is that element of it where you have to acknowledge this is a capitalistic relationship. In the end, we are not friends. There is a money element
0: to it. But I think those people on some level are getting into it because they care about and get excited about, like, good music.
1: Right. There's definitely those people, and I think then there are the Kate McKinnons.
0: Sure. I think the former are more common than the latter.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Anyway, Jack has a revelation about what he needs to do to make everything right. All you need is love, love. So he calls up his old buddy, Ed Sheeran, and is like, yo, I need a favor. Ed Sheeran is playing Wembley Stadium, and Jack gets to go in and play after Ed's set. Sheeran will probably, like, come on for one or two songs afterwards. But it seems like the night is kind of winding down when Ed Sheeran introduces his buddy. Who he helped discover. Jack Malik. Jack comes on, he plays all the hits, and then he has an announcement to make. And this is wrong. This thing he does is bad. This thing is bad, and Richard Curtis thinks it's so good. So Rocky, his assistant, played by Joel Fry, finds Ellie in the crowd and brings her backstage. And Jack, after playing his set, says that he has an announcement. And he then gets the backstage camera to point at Ellie without having given her a heads up that this would happen, which is bad. So rude. It's very wrong. It starts off okay, he's like, I want to thank Ellie, like, she was a fan of mine when I had no other fans, like, she encouraged me to stick with the music. All of this should've warned her, all of this is fine. Then, however, he makes two big announcements. One, I'm in love with you, Ellie, which is wrong. Gavin is here. It's so
1: mean to Gavin!
0: It's also in front of a lot of people.
1: It does not give her much opportunity to say no.
0: Yep. Announcement number two, I did not write these songs. They were written by John Lennon, George Harrison, Ringo Starr, and Paul McCartney. And I am now releasing all of them for free on the internet, which I don't think he legally had the right no, to he's do. he's going to get sued to He's going to get sued the pants off. But the
1: thing is, it's like, if he is breaking copyright by claiming other people wrote these songs. The contract is already broken.
0: But then he still gets sued for fraud. But he gets sued
1: by fraud. But there's no one to claim otherwise. It would be a very thorny legal case in which it would probably end with, wow, this man believes he's from another world where the Beatles exist. Maybe he should be put in care.
0: Like, that's the best case scenario? The best
1: case scenario.
0: Don't worry, the movie doesn't go into that at all.
1: Also, those two announcements are flip-flopped. Where he tells everyone he fakes it and then says he loves Ellie. And everyone is on his side. They're like, we still love you. This is so cute. And I'm like,
0: I don't think I would be on his side at this point. It's just a very weird situation. Especially because, you know, like, people are going to track down those four dudes. And those dudes are going to be like, we have no idea what you're talking about. Right, because John Lennon
1: is still alive. John Lennon definitely
0: doesn't have internet at that shack.
1: Right. So the other thing is... It's also like his whole career is built up off the fact that he is one man that has written these songs, sings them himself. It's all him. And so shattering that illusion by saying four other people wrote it, I feel like people would have been more mad if they were like, we love him because of this fact that he's a solo artist. He's not like those other artists that have like 16 writers on their song.
0: Clearly, we know what Richard Curtis thinks of the current music industry. Yeah. But- I do think over time, people in this world would probably come to appreciate him and be like, there's some weird crap going on there. Attribution on the songs is murky, but they're good songs. Right.
1: And I think that's where it would be. But I feel like you wouldn't be immediately like, oh, what did he admit? And then, oh, he's in love.
0: Yeah. Anyway, after that, we have a basically a backstage meeting with Ellie and Jack and, of course, Gavin, who, who is the their most awkward person to be here. But to be fair has a stake in this.
1: Right. And Gavin basically starts it off by saying, "Eh, I always knew I was second best. Good I want luck. you to be happy. Good luck, Ellie." and walks off.
0: Yeah, Gavin is just like perfectly happy with all of this, which is the least believable part of the movie.
1: Yeah. And then they kiss and run
0: away together, which brings us to point number 5, our final montage. Oh, bad tea. The movie just
1: ends with them banging and then the afterglow. That's yeah. just the end of the movie. It so they go into this whole- place, presumably buy a house together. No, it's her house from the beginning. But I just want to make clear this whole movie is actually just build up to one sex.
0: And then at that point, he declares that he feels like Harry Potter after he defeats Voldemort. Just like a everything's weird, fine. A weird thing to say after sex. <laughs> it's the <laughs> next day, at least. Is it though? I think. And she's like, Harry, who? And there is kind of a funny moment where, like, you can see all of the thoughts from the movie go through his head again, like, wow, I could make so much money if I could pull off making Harry Potter again. But he decides not to, and instead leads a happy life where he and Ellie have some kids and both work in teaching and just love their life together. Right. Just
1: like John Lennon. Indeed. So after watching this film yesterday, do you find the romance believable?
0: Mostly, no.
1: The core of this romance is believable.
0: The idea that, like, two friends could have this, like, weird relationship where they're not sure if the other person likes them, and as a result, do nothing.
1: Right. But the extent to which he's oblivious, like, she makes it pretty clear, so that element takes a little bit off the believability of it. And then everything else that happens in this movie... Also take some points off.
0: Once they arrive at Wembley Stadium, everything is out the window in terms of believability. Yeah. So where do we rank this on our 10-point scale where 0 is we believe none of the romance, 10 we believe everything that happens romantically? Where would you place the film yesterday?
1: I'm going to put it at a 3.
0: That's pretty good. Because
1: the fact that these two people have a history and have loved each other for so long- Ever since Wonderwall. Ever since Wonderwall leads- to the belief that these people could, in the end, fall in love and have sex.
0: Yeah, I think a three is fair on those counts. We got to drop it a lot because of everything Stadium. That happens in the movie. <laughs> yeah, but no, that does seem right.
1: Do you think that either of them are dateable? I'm a yes on Ellie. I'm
0: definitely a yes on Ellie.
1: She is a happy-go-lucky school teacher that she's is su- really cute. Who is supportive of her friend's art.
0: Yeah, what she's more do you so need? positive. She is. Jack is an interesting case.
1: It's not a no, but it's a no from me, dog. Like, I wouldn't date him, but I don't think he is undateable. No,
0: I don't either. This movie is really a crisis of conscience for him, where he's deciding what kind of person he wants to be. Right. So if you did have to pick one person in this movie to date, who would it be?
1: It's his father with a bullet. (laughs) He's so great. He's so good at this. His mother is a close second.
0: So this is uh, Sanjeev Bhaskar who is playing Jed Malik, his dad, and has a brilliant ability to interrupt and be as awkward as
1: absolutely possible. At one point in the movie, he just, after like talking about how proud he is of his son, he goes, one more thing. Are those tuna sandwiches? And he walks off with an entire party-sized tray of tuna sandwiches. That was
0: like in his green room. And
1: it's the happiest he is in this movie.
0: It's phenomenal. Or like when Ed Sheeran comes over because... Jack has refused to believe over the phone that he's talking to Ed Sheeran. So now Jack and Ed are talking in the kitchen and his dad comes in and is just like asking Ed Sheeran where things are in the kitchen. That was the best part is when he's like the classic,
1: oh, dad's in the way, like moment of it is funny. And then he asks Ed Sheeran, like, where is this thing? I just saw that the parents, Sanjeev Bhaskar and Mira Seyal, were in a British show together called The Kumars at Number 42. That seems to be very well-received. That's cool. So it's nice that they brought them back together.
0: Uh, Sanjeev Bhaskar is also, of course, one of the neighbors in Paddington, too. The one who is constantly locking himself out of his home.
1: And then Mira Seal is like a pretty big deal. She is a commander of the British Empire. Oh, fancy. She is one of the best known Indian personalities in the UK by being on the Kumars at number 42, apparently. Wow. So good for
0: her. Yeah. I really liked her a lot. Yeah, they're both really fun. I think for me, dating is going to be either Ellie, who is great. Or if I have to go for a more minor character, it's got to be Gavin. Gavin's a nice dude. I would also date Gavin. He seems pretty fun when we see him recording. He's got that cute little recording studio by the train tracks. Yeah. Like and he's very on. supportive, frankly, to a fault.
1: Yeah. The moment where he just accepts that his girlfriend loves someone else and lets her walk away. Uh, weird. Yeah. Yeah. But in general,
0: he's He great doesn't guy. have a lot of great options there, though. No, he doesn't. And he handles it well, I guess. Because what is he going to do? Tell her she has to stay with him?
1: No, but at least, like, be upset about it.
0: Now, this movie is already a music movie. Should it be a musical? I don't think it needs to be on stage. No, not really.
1: It would lose a lot of the charm that it has, I feel.
0: I think this sense of moving around to different locations is really important to right. it, and that is a strength of film over the stage.
1: Right. I think that about does it for this movie.
0: Yeah. I'm glad we got to talk about it. It's good to dip into something current every once in a while.
1: Yeah. Next week, we will be doing another movie. That...
0: Something that is going to go from the Beatles to the juice. Get Out. That movie we talked about no, a year and a half ago as part of that, that Oscars episode. Anymore.
1: Please leave. That was awful.
0: Nope. Until, uh, it was great. Until
1: next week, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love, the Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at LoveTheLovePod at gmail.com.
0: Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps other people to find the show.
1: Last question. Besides being a man playing Wonderwall on an acoustic guitar, what is the best piece of dating advice you got from this movie?
0: Own a recording studio along some train tracks, and then flirtatiously play background percussion With the manager of the person whose album you were recording. My dating advice comes from Gavin.
1: And it works out so great for him. For a while. My advice is to kind of unethically maybe lie your way into becoming the world's best superstar. And then you can get the girl of your dreams who you could have started dating 20 years ago.
0: If you have thoughts on the ethics of yesterday genuinely email us, tweet at us, whatever, I am actually fascinated by this. I would
1: actually love an email because I want more than 240 characters of your thoughts on this.
0: Really, we want 140 characters because hashtag 280 characters is a disaster. Oh, 280.
1: Never mind. Anyway, I think that does it. Until next time, I'm gay.
0: And I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance.
1: Bye! Bye.